Tits up is both an expression used when things have gone terribly wrong and a phrase coined as a rallying cry to stand up straight, own the stage, and knock them dead. There are few things in this world that can make your life go tits up more quickly than a breast cancer diagnosis, especially for adolescent and young adult women. This podcast is meant to give us AYAs, a feeling of community, understanding, and power, helping us to walk into each day with a feeling of tits up. Listeners, we are back this week. Today, it's just Sam and I. We're going to kind of go back to our roots. We've had quite a few guests on lately, which is fantastic. And we have a great lineup of guests coming up for you in the very near future. But Sam and I just kind of wanted to touch base. So we said, screw it. Let's just record an episode and kind of touch base with each other. Um, So enjoy. This is just us chatting. Um, We did come up with a few questions just to kind of ask each other. Um, And hopefully some of those resonate with you guys. um, Or maybe you feel completely differently. And if you do, let us know on our socials. Um, But Sam, good to see your face. Yes, thank you. You too. So as Megan said, we're just going to ask each other some questions. We'll alternate between them. We'll do our best to answer each one in its entirety. But um, as we all know, avoidance is my specialty. (laughs) The first one I have is what were some of the most challenging aspects of your treatment and how did you cope with them? Starting off, starting off good. <laughs> Just get get into the shit. Um, all right. Um, most difficult of mine. Mine was just I kept losing parts. You know, for those that maybe haven't listened to all of our uh, episodes before this, I didn't end up needing chemo. We caught mine really early, and it didn't go into my lymph nodes or anything, so I didn't need chemo. But at 35, I was having a double mastectomy. And then a few months later, I had a total hysterectomy. And for people that don't know the difference, or maybe I'm just creating this word total hysterectomy, I don't know. Um, But it's not just the uterus that they're taking. It's the cervix and the ovaries. So to me, I felt like I was a busted down old car. And as I was driving along, I was just losing parts, just shit's just falling off. And that really fucked with my head a lot. Um, Because, you know, especially with these gynecological cancers, you know, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, all of that, it really touches um, for some people not all people, but it really touches for some people, their femininity and your womanhood me. Yeah. Like that's once everything's gone, I remember having that question, like what still makes me a woman now? Also for those listening cognitively, I understand there is far more that makes me a woman. Um, Also, I, you know, when I say that comment, I often think of, you know, transgender individuals and what makes them a woman if they don't have those parts and whatever. I'm not getting into that. I'm going into the darkness that lived inside my head that didn't have any necessarily like reasoning to it. There was no logic behind it. Um, It was just the feeling that I had at the time. What makes me 
female right now? What makes me a woman? I felt like I lost all of my connection to any of that. Um, and I, I think that was the most difficult. Um, there are still obviously the questions of, is it going to come back? If it does come back, when is it going to come back? Like there's always like the recurrence, um, question. And that's, that's really scary. Um, but I, I think just to kind of wrap up on that question, that was the hardest for me, just breaking down and losing parts left and right. Um, and how did I cope with it? That is a very good question. <laughs> Not well. Um, I'll say didn't deal with it very well. There was, I think I went through all the stages of grief and I forget exactly what they are in order, but there's like uh, denial. And then I think um, bargaining and, you know, people out there, you probably know these better than I do. Um, but yeah, I, I lived in that angry realm for a very long time. Of course, first I was incredibly scared when I was diagnosed, because right when you're diagnosed, that's that really tricky space. Cause you don't know, you know, how advanced is it? What surgery options? Am I going to need chemo or whatever? You don't know right. any of those answers. You just know I have cancer. You have no idea who's going to treat it, what it's going to do, yep. how far it's spread, where it's at. I think we skip over that a little bit now, Megan, because we are, distanced from that because that is the beginning but like oh I would argue that's the hardest part because you don't know anything you're just in this whirlwind of I am sick possibly very sick either way I'm still sick and I have no idea how I'm going to resolve this how long it's going to take what's going to yeah. happen how these treatments are going to affect me what parts of me are getting cut off or cut out or cut in <laughs> so <laughs> No, it's so true. It's so scary. Like you just know, like if somebody asks you how you're doing, you're like, I mean, I guess, okay, I have cancer, dot, 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 but you've no further answers. And I know that there's a small majority of the world that actually kind of likes to live in that realm of where they don't have answers. You know, like the less you know, the happier you are. I've heard some people say that, but I'm the literal opposite. Like I need, I need facts. I need answers. Um, and that's, that's a really, really tough place to be. So when it came to how I dealt with it, um, weed gummies was one way, <laughs> um, especially when you're coming out of a surgery, but just, just even mentally, I just needed to, I don't like smoking weed. I just don't like the taste that it leaves. Um, but that was one way. Um, I was drinking more at that point. I don't really drink much anymore. And that's solely because the hot flashes from menopause. It's not because I don't want to drink. I would love to, um, but it just, it's not worth it anymore. Um, so I was doing kind of, there was a lot of negative self-talk. There was a lot of um, unhealthy coping mechanisms, I'll say. And that, that lasted for quite some time, even after all of the treatment was quote unquote done. I guess in retrospect, I wish I would have dealt with it better, I guess, but I just don't know what that would even necessarily look like. Cause for me to put on a cheerful face and say that everything is fine and you know, the universe will work it out or whatever, like that just doesn't, that doesn't work for me. It would so. have been a facade anyway. Exactly. 
Exactly. Let's turn it around on you. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, are we skipping past? (laughs) Nope. Nope. Um, It's your turn. (laughs) So um, I think for me at first it was being validated because I was so young. I was 23 when I was diagnosed. So everybody told me there was no way I had cancer even when I had a palpable lump. Um, Luckily, the radiologist who demanded that I had an immediate biopsy when I got my uh, breast ultrasound. She was great. And I think she pretty much knew. Um, So that made me feel a little bit better. I knew from my first appointment with my oncologist, or I, I think I saw a general surgeon first. They told me, they were like, we got your pathology back. It's triple positive, which typically means a gambit, what they call a kitchen sink of treatment. Which is, which is great, depending on how you look at it, and also not so great. In my mind, I was hoping it was hormone positive and I could get away with some hormone treatment and just surgery and avoid chemo. That was kind of like in my mind. I was like, oh, yeah. like. But then when they told me I needed chemo, I was like, okay. And then I was like, I'm going to be part of the 1% that your hair doesn't fall out. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, that's not true. I've just decided. (laughs) Um, So it was hard for me. What was really hard about learning that I needed the kitchen sink of treatment was living with the tumor and getting chemotherapy before the surgery. And my tumor did shrink, but not it didn't go away. I didn't have PCR, which is pathological complete response. So that was really hard for me. And I cut my hair after my first chemo treatment and I had my husband shave it just because I knew it was going to fall out. And even when it was shaved, the small pieces were falling out. It was obvious. But I think the hardest part of that, even when I was done with chemo, done with surgery, was my hair growing back. I was really confident bald. um, And I think that's just because I had a little peanut head shape, you know, (laughs) Um, but it growing back because it grew back in patches. I thought it was going to be thick and luxurious like they say when, but that's not true. It didn't grow back like that. And everybody kind of looks at you very sideways. So I did wear some head wraps and stuff like that, but I was still very much in that cancer patient mindset, even though I was like, well, I'm done with chemo. I had my surgery. I was expecting to go back to the way I was. And that's just not reality. It took me a long time to accept the fact that there is no going back to the old me or how I used to be or how I used to look. I still look different now. I can't get these eyebrows to grow back. They're just (laughs) non-existent. Just not happening. (laughs) Um. So I think that was really hard. And the way I coped with that was as soon as my hair was long enough, I spent thousands upon thousands of dollars on hair extensions that did not look great. But in my mind, I was so focused on people looking at me the way they did before treatment, not in a vain way or anything like that. I just wanted to be done looking like a cancer patient. And I'm sure that many of our listeners can empathize. Even when your hair is growing back, people don't look at you like, oh, you just, you have a short, cute buzz cut or something like that. They look at you like, 
oh, did you have a bad dye job or something? (laughs) Like what happened that possessed you to shave your head? I remember I had this moment when my husband and I were in Hawaii. I was bald in the middle of chemotherapy, throwing up on the streets of Waikiki. I've talked about this before. And this woman came up to me at the pool and said, oh, I wish I had your confidence to to make the choice to shave my head bald and something along those lines. And I looked at her and I said, bitch, it's not a choice. I had cancer. (laughs) I have cancer. I'm going through chemotherapy. And her face was like starstruck. And I like went over and told my husband and I was like, you know, do you think I was like harsh? And he was like, no, like you told her it wasn't a choice. Like, thank you for the compliment or whatever you were trying to give but it wasn't a choice um I wouldn't make this choice if I didn't have to and that's that um (laughs) do you know Amy Schumer the stand-up yes 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 okay all right I love Amy Schumer and she did like a few years ago she did like a naked photo shoot it was all in black and white like it wasn't showing any of like the parts that they won't put on the front of a magazine, but she did a naked photo shoot. And in one of her standups, she was saying that all she was hearing the next day after it came out is Amy Schumer is so brave. She's so brave. And she's like, that is not what you want to hear when you like show up naked somewhere like, Oh, pumpkin, you're so brave for showing up like that. And I, I kind of get the same vibe when people say, things like what that woman said to you, you know, oh, you're so brave to be able to cut your hair short. That's not necessarily a compliment. Like you don't know me. You don't know if I'm brave or not. And a compliment would be, dude, your head looks fantastic. Like, I love what you did with that. Like this looks so great with like your bone structure and all that. That's a fucking compliment to say you're so brave for doing that. That's saying something Along the lines of pump, this doesn't look good, but Mm -hmm. good for you for trying to rock it, you know, just shut up, just shut Mm -hmm. up, unless you're given Mm -hmm. a legitimate compliment, say nothing. Right. Like like Thumper from Bambi, unless you have something nice to say, just find a way to keep your mouth shut. Right. And um, as you can all tell, I have hair extensions again. So coping mechanisms, coping mechanisms going great. Thanks for asking. Um, but <laughs> as we said, or as I said at the beginning, avoidance is kind of my thing. So I definitely kind of had to disassociate from just myself and my prior identity, I guess, because that was the only way I could cope with what was happening to me. Okay, I am a cancer patient. I have to accept this. I look nothing like I did before, simply because of all of these things that happened to me. And that doesn't go for, uh, I mean, that goes for everybody, not just people who have chemotherapy and stuff like that. I mean, weight gain is real. Um, Steroids, all of those things, all of those body changes can make you feel and look differently than you did before. I think the thing that helps me cope is finally making the realization that there isn't going back. There is no going back to who I was before. There is only the new me and I can't wait to meet her. I'm so excited for her. I can't wait to show up for her and all of those types of things. And there's nothing wrong with 
grieving that part of you or that look of you or that way of you. But I definitely think that being open to who you are going forward is what helped me cope the most. And not immediately. Yeah. Of course, because, you know, who, who who has those realizations immediately? No, it no. takes a minute. It takes a minute. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like your answer there. I don't love my answer, which is like weed gummies and alcohol um, and just an overall bad attitude. But I, if I kind of push it out to like where I am now, I think that I've given myself a lot more leeway um, yeah. or permission in having emotions, you know, like pretty much my whole life, I've either been fine or I'm pissed. And there really is nowhere in between. Like Megan's fine, everything's fine. Or I'm raging pissed off. And this has brought to the surface a whole myriad of emotions that I was unaware of that existed somewhere within me up until all of this. Um, you said something. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't know how to, like, I couldn't say to somebody like, I'm, I'm incredibly frustrated or I'm very worn down. Not that worn down is necessarily an emotion, but you know, like just all I had in my vocabulary was I'm fine or I'm pissed. And so much of what I felt didn't fall in those two categories. So I've had to kind of give them, and I've worked with my therapist on this. I've had to start giving them names um of what it is that i'm actually feeling because this just made everything bubble to the surface um you were saying something sam that like in passing you said like until i didn't feel like a cancer patient anymore when did that happen like do you still feel like a cancer patient do you not feel like one anymore and when did you kind of notice like a change Bonus question. (laughs) Yes, bonus (laughs) question. (laughs) Um, I think that mm, probably one of my unhealthy coping mechanisms that I still do is try to say that I'm no longer a cancer patient, but we all know like the reality of recurrence and survivorship. Like I saw a post the other day and it was like, I think the hardest thing about family and friends to realize about having cancer is it doesn't end when chemo ends or it doesn't end when survivorship survivorship starts and that's so true and that's something I'm coping with because I constantly am like oh cancer it's done and out of my mind but that's just not the reality every three months I take a cancer recurrence test you know and then every six months I'm getting a scan but in my mind like I alluded to before, disassociation is my easiest go-to. If I don't think it's happening, then it's not happening. And I'm not saying that's healthy. It just allows me to be in the present more so of how I want to be, if that makes sense. I know that's probably the answer. Um, so if I disassociate That's the nice thing them. about this podcast. There's no <laughs> crappy answers. We're all a mess. That's why we're here. <laughs> Yeah. If I disassociate from it, I'm like, okay, I can pretend I'm normal. I can pretend I'm this new Sam and I can be X, Y, and Z. And then every 90 days I can be upset for a week or two about this um, cancer recurrence test and, and see what's going on, you know, and every six months I can be upset and worried, you know, that month about getting my scan. 
even going to the doctor, you know, we talked about um, on episodes with Blair and stuff like that. It just brings up, you know, those little teas and stuff like that. So for me, a big part of my coping mechanism is disassociating from it. Otherwise, I'm a person when I think about something, it consumes my mind. And if I get a little whiff of it, I'm going to eat it up like a cupcake. And that does nothing for me. It does nothing for my family. It does nothing for my cancer and cancer experience. Yep. Good answer. Good answer. Um, Let's go on to something a little bit lighter. Um, Yeah. (laughs) What were some misconceptions or myths about breast cancer that you encountered and how did you address them? Ooh. Okay. Okay. Um, myths. Well, the big one was sugar. And we talked about that mm-hmm. with Lisa. Um, and for those listening, sugar we're going to have food. her back on. Yeah. Sugar and just food in general. Yeah. Um, like I didn't, I, I have an unhealthy thing with diet Coke. I just do. And I know how bad it is for you. I know for everybody out there. Um, but mama's got very few vices nowadays. Like I get diet Coke is how I figure it. That, that can be one of my ones that I still have. Um, so yeah, like what, what you eat, um, and how that affects at the time, how it affects your recovery. Um, now I'm interested in things that are, you know, how does it keep the shit away for the long term, mm-hmm. if it even can. Um, and we'll have some episodes on that. But that was a big one. Um, other myths were just that breast cancer equals chemo. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just assumed that chemo was going to be happening when my mom had cancer when I was a kid. Um, mm-hmm. She had chemo. She had like, she's got this big, gorgeous head of red hair. Um, and that all went away. And, you know, thankfully it came back red. It came back a different color. Um, She's very, very attached to her hair. But I just automatically assumed. In fact, actually, um, I met with somebody the other day uh, just for drinks. And she's what I would just consider a cancer buddy now. Um, She lives out here in Denver. And we were talking and she was so sure that breast cancer equals chemo Mm -hmm. that she had the same thing I did, which was a double mastectomy first and then figure out the rest later. And she had already cut her hair when she found out that she didn't actually need chemo. So I don't, yeah, I don't think it was a full buzz, but like it was, yeah, yeah, it was cut pretty short. And she was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, I, I don't actually need this. Um, so I think that that kind of falls into that realm of like that unknown, like those two weeks, give or take, where you have your diagnosis, but you don't have your treatment plan. Um, right. That's just, you know, write down every question, no matter how batshit insane it sounds, or even if you have to write it like three or four times, and just make sure that you get those answered by your doctors and by your surgeon, um, because there are a lot of myths out there. I'm trying to think of any other myths. Um, or misconceptions. I can't really think of any others. I think those are my big two. I knew having watched my mom, I knew this was going to suck. There was just no world in which this wasn't going to suck. 
It's just a matter of how much suck and how frequently and, you know, how often. One thing for those listening out here, and we've, we've talked, maybe I touched on this once before, but I did not think, I guess this could fall under misconception. I did not think that I would be able to have my insurance company cover my egg retrieval and my Mm. egg freezing. I thought that that was just going to be thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. And so before my hysterectomy, I thought I was just shit out of luck. Yeah. And, um, I'll, I'll try to post this in the description, but there's the only one that I have is for Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield. That's the one that I use, but there's an actual code on there that you can give to the, um, fertility doctors and they can use that if you're specifically an oncology patient. Yes. And we're hoping to have an insurance disability type person on to give us all the nitty gritty on that kind of stuff. So that way we can give it to you because Megan and I will be the first to tell you, we are not keen when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, And when you're going through it and it's shoved in your face, it's a blur. Um, Going back to that. It makes you so irate. Like I remember I got a call literally the night before my hysterectomy. Got a call from Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield saying, um, we don't find this to be medically necessary, so we're not going to cover it. The night before. And thankfully, I had an incredible doctor who like stayed on the phone with them all night on like Hawaii time, trying to yeah. find like a peer review person. And we we got it cleared. But, you know, I mean, it it should make them second guess or at least start asking questions when you have somebody who's 35 and asking for a full total hysterectomy right I think that I think that's falls into one of the things that we try to highlight on as being on the AYA side of breast cancer postmenopausal that's not a question or a concern because you're probably already a grandma or at the very least a parent But I think as more and more younger women are getting diagnosed, that's something we need to advocate for. And it should be something that's not only included, but one of the first things talked about. Um, I know I've talked a little bit about this, but I did not freeze my eggs and stuff like that. And that's because, you know, it was not necessarily covered. And I was told that it was more important for me to get chemo right away. So that is what I did. But living with that fear of, okay, all of my eggs could suddenly go away and I'll never have a child is hard, especially in your 20s. But, you know, we'll talk about that a different time. Um, (laughs) I think think my biggest myth or misconception, I'm not sure which this would fall into, is there's a reason or there's a cause for your cancer. And I think being an analytical type A person – I needed there to be one. I needed it. And then when you get this pie chart and you're talking to the genetics counselor and they're saying, sorry, there's really no reason, no reason why you have here, especially in your case, Megan, you know, you have a family history and you you tested negative for BRCA and then ended up having it. That blows my mind every time, not to go on a side tangent. But for me, I was like, okay, so I don't have I don't have the genetics for it. And then they pull out this pie chart and say that only about 10 to 15% of cancers are hereditary. I said, what? What do you mean? Yeah, that number blows my mind every time you say it. I feel like most cancers would be hereditary, but apparently Mm -hmm. not. 
No. And I think I want to say 30% or so are like environment, you know, induced like smoking or, or stuff like that. Um, and then the rest, I believe, are sporadic. You know, there's, you know, spontaneous little sections in there and stuff like that. But so I was literally just like, okay, I'm I'm an unlucky duck. There's no reason. And I think for a while I was so badly wanting there to be a reason because in some freaky weird way, it meant that I could maybe prevent it from happening again, which isn't the case. Even if it was genetic or something like that, it's not like you can say, okay, cut this gene out of me and I'm no longer going to have, you know, that risk of cancer. But I think that was a big like I said, I don't know if that's misconception or myth, but I was like, there needs to be a reason why this happened to me. And I also think that's a big personal thing because I'm very analytical. So I was like, I just need to know why. I need to know why, what happened, where where did I go canker off the, off the straight and narrow, you know, for this to happen to me. And I'm sure a lot of people resonate with that. I was going to say, I feel like that one's probably really quote unquote normal um, yeah. or frequent with people Mm -hmm. because yeah like if you know where it came from you know how to avoid it again and it's just it's a real punch in the gut when they're like yeah we don't know but here we are and you're like well shit what do i do in the future how do i fix this ah Mm -hmm. next one next one let's do it (laughs) how has your experience with breast cancer influenced your perspective on life and your priorities Oof. I feel like this one's kind of loaded. And it also, I've noticed changes um, as time goes on. Like my perspective on things during cancer treatment um, was pretty tunnel vision. Like I didn't have much of a perspective on fucking anything. It was solely what my life touched on a day-to-day basis. So it was my friends, my family, and my doctors. Like that was my entire world. Um, So my perspective on the rest of the world, you know, wars, genocides, all of that, like things that I am now capable of watching and taking in and processing that information, those things just didn't even exist. Like my house and the doctor's offices were all that Mm -hmm. existed in the world. Um over time, you know, I think that people just kind of assume that once you have cancer, you're going to have this bright new outlook or like this, this huge change in your life. And I usually joke with people that like, I'm literally the same, just with a much higher level of neuroses now, like now, (laughs) now I just have a whole new list of things that I can be anxiety ridden about. Um, But I do think that like, if we are just sitting here having this conversation and I'm kind of thinking back, I, I very often, um, tend to kind of say to myself now something, and again, it's internal dialogue. So it's, it's weird to kind of put words to it, but there's something in me whenever something is happening that says like, is this going to matter in a year? If the answer is no then it doesn't really matter right now. If that little line of questioning doesn't work, if it's still something that is just fucking me up and I'm having a hard time putting things in perspective, I tend to kind of retreat usually to like a bath or something where there's nothing else going around or going on around me. I'll put on like chill music and, 
you know, there will always be times. There's no way that you can take out all of the stressors and all of the things that are going to fuck you up in the head over time. But if I've been stressing about something for longer than a week, that's usually a sign to me that I need to get out of it. Now, I don't want that to sound like, oh, you know, bad things will happen and they will last for longer than a week, you know, but if it's something that I'm capable of changing, I'm going to change it because if it's taking up that many days and that many hours in my life, even if I live to be 110, life is too damn short for that sort of bullshit, you know, whatever that bullshit happens to be. Um, That could be relationships, that could be a job, that could be, you know, fill in the blank. Um, Right. But that's, that's kind of where I am now. I don't have some new, like, lease on life like you picture in the movies now all of a sudden like she starts this perfect etsy business and she makes a bazillion dollars and falls in love with a handsome prince and all of that like none of that bullshit's happening for me like it's still very normal very day-to-day but when i've had a long-standing stressor Mm -hmm. i guess we could just say a long-standing stressor um i am more quick to acknowledge it and figure out a way to fix it. And if I can't fix it, then get the fuck away from it. I yeah, think that's, I think that's kind of where my perspective has changed on things. Where yeah. before I was just kind of like, I was just like a plow horse with everything, whether it was relate like um, The Departed. Have you seen The Departed? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's like Matt Damon or whatever, but he's like laying in bed with his girlfriend or something. And he's like, look, if this relationship is not right, I need you to be the one to call it because I'm Irish and I will, I will deal with something mm-hmm. being wrong till the day I die. And that's always how I was like, this is where I'm at and I'm going to do my best to make the best of it, which I don't think is a bad thing. But when things are not, um, when, when I, how do I say this? I'm able to see the writing on the wall earlier, I think now than yeah. I definitely think that's a perspective switch and that's like a very powerful one to have too because it releases, you know, that tension and like stress that you're feeling. You're like, oh, this really doesn't matter because remember when this happened and this really mattered and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I totally think that's a good one. Um, I I know this is, you're going to giggle during this because I always like answer gave me perspective, blah, 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 blah. And it's true. I was somebody who valued almost anything and everything over my own health and well-being. I took it for granted. I was like, I'm young and healthy. I'm in the Marine Corps, blah, 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 blah. Uh, nothing can touch me. But I always had this looming feeling, whether it was not that I'm saying this is going to happen or I hope it's going to happen, but I was like, I'm going to get into a car accident and have an amputation or something like that, blah, blah, blah. Nope, I got cancer <laughs> and it just kind of slapped me in the face and there was no reason why. And I worked the whole time and it was really hard for me to be the person I was at work before I had cancer be the best cancer patient and be the best wife I could be. And I constantly felt like I was battling this triangle. And then once I got to towards the end of treatment and stuff like that, I would say a few months before I ended, I was like, hmm, what matters most out of these three things? And it was my health and well-being and my Mm -hmm. husband and my family, which were not 
always the two things I prioritized. I very often had a lot of my identity wrapped up in my work. And that's only because I was always kind of reaching for a cookie I never got, if that makes sense. You know, I not, not that I'm saying that there's rewards that come along with that, but I was like, okay, like if I'm the best at this or if I do really good at this, you know, this is what's going to happen. And, you know, I'm not going to be a POS or whatever the case may be. And what I realized going through cancer is, yeah, okay, it was nice to keep up with my job and do all kind of that, but it didn't make me feel good as it did before. I did not get that same value and self-worth that I did prior. That's why I always say cancer gave me perspective because it allowed me to identify in a different way and where I put all of my value and self-worth changed. And I started putting it back into myself and my family, which was a complete perspective switch to me. I didn't necessarily prioritize my relationships with people and that kind of thing. Not that I'm necessarily a social butterfly or whatever the case may be. I just <laughs> I, I just more so value those relationships over my, you know, nine to five, for lack of a better term, which is something yeah. that I didn't before. I think that it was easy for me to identify with work because I was very good at work. I'm a worker bee. And that was the easy way for me to identify and have that self-worth. When you don't have that, it's different. And when you're faced with cancer, you have to really look at yourself in the mirror and say, what is my worth and where do I put that? Um, And if it's not in yourself and family, then my personal opinion is you need to do a little bit of self-evaluation or, you know, realization. And that's what I had to do. So that's why I always say cancer gave me perspective because I truly think if I didn't get cancer or some life-altering event like I was talking about, I wouldn't have had that perspective switch. I don't. I think I'd still be a workaholic and I'd be prioritizing that over almost anything else. And I think it served me for a period of time, but I don't think it serves me any longer and I don't think it will serve me in the future. I think that's really important too, like talking about, you know, what still serves you and what doesn't, you know, I mean, we all know whether or not you get cancer, or you have some sort of life altering event. We all know we are very different now than we were at 15 years old and we're all going to be very different 15 years from now, but we expect that change to happen, but we expect it to happen gradually, you know, just in the normal occurrence of life, things are just going to change. And I think that it's very, very, very difficult to wrap your head around it when you do have that one life altering event, cancer, car accident, whatever it happens to be, God forbid, both at the same time or something, you know, that's, that's that's a whole, that's a whole other bag of worms. But, um, did you find that like going back to you talking about like being a workaholic, um, and you know, I, I very much resonate with you on the whole, like, you know, you get your value based off of what you do, not necessarily who you are, you know, like that's, I, I blame it on being like an eighties baby, but you're a little nineties baby. So maybe it's just, I don't know, whatever generation our parents were or something. I think a little bit of childhood trauma too, you know, I feel like little T right, 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 right. Like, uh, 
I felt like maybe I got the most praise when I did something good in school or when I did something good uh, or got this award or got this grade. So I think that just kind of carried over. And then I was like, okay, so if I'm really good at this and if I'm the best at this, this is how I'm going to get rewarded as an adult and blah, 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 blah. That's not the case, everybody. (laughs) Take it from me. (laughs) Great job. Proud of you. But um, maybe look a little. And like, God forbid that one. (laughs) God forbid like you do bad at work and now all of a sudden you're just a complete piece of trash, right? Right. Like that mentality. But what I was going to ask you, Sam, is because you were talking about being like the queen of avoidance over Mm -hmm. here. Like, Mm -hmm. because I didn't work through cancer. And sometimes I wonder like, should I have, could I have whatever, but it is what it is. I didn't. Do you think that working during it helped with some of that avoidance? Or do you think that it kind of all compounded on itself and it was more difficult? Like, I sincerely don't know. You tell me what you Um, thought working during all of it. In some ways, yes, I can, I can probably argue both sides. And the reason why I say that is because when I was at work, because of that high value and stuff like that, I felt relied on and I felt like people didn't look at me like I was a cancer patient or, you know, like somebody who was getting, you know, tubes attached to them and infusion. But then every three weeks on that three weeks when I had my infusion, I was kind of jolted back into that, oh, shit, you are a cancer patient and this is what you have to do. So I could kind of go either way with it. I I think it helped me to an extent. I think if I could have done like an abridged type of situation, and don't get me wrong, all of my coworkers and bosses were great and like allowed me to do some telework and stuff like that when it was feasible. I think it was just my own guilt that kept me. I was like, oh, but I'm I'm not there. I'm not physically there. You know what I mean? So some something's going to go wrong or I'm not doing my job or whatever the case may be. And that's a lot of self self problems going on there everybody that's that's exactly what that is nobody should feel guilty when they have cancer because you physically aren't at work but i would literally be in the infusion chair on my laptop or on a work call so that i would not recommend <laughs> yes um at the same time work allowed me to not be that cancer patient now that being said when people would stop me in the elevator and ask me about something or tell me about their mother who had cancer, I was kind of jolted back into there. But like, I'm so thankful for my immediate bosses and coworkers for never kind of approaching that unless I wanted to, you know, they would always be like, Sam, are you okay? Or like, obviously, if I looked a little rundown, they would know when my infusions were and stuff like that. Um, But I would say I appreciated that the most. But like I said, having that severe, I don't want to say severe, but severe avoidance disassociation. <laughs> That's what it was. Um, didn't half, help half me. the work is just acknowledging it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, having that, you know, and then going to my infusions was hard because I was like, oh, shit, like I am a cancer patient. And then it was hard when I physically couldn't do things after because I was like, for two and a half weeks, I was just perfectly fine. What do you mean? Like my body is hurting me and I can't drive to work, you know, like there's no way that's happening. And then with how I valued work, that's where the struggle came in because I was like, okay, 
Now I'm not holding up my end of the deal at work. Now I'm not being a good cancer patient because I'm so sick. Like I'm failing at both of them now. And I can't even make myself up the stairs to, or, uh, you know, make my way up the stairs to cook my husband dinner. So now I'm being a shitty wife. So all three of those pillars, I'm just, I'm just going downhill. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, so again, that's a lot of internalizing and stuff like that that's not healthy so I would say yes and no because having the distraction and knowing that okay I could do all this impact at work and not be judged by being a cancer patient was great but then when I got off work and I was like oh snap they called me to schedule my appointment or my oncologist wants to sit knee to knee to me what is this about you know it was like a sudden jolt back into it so I think the disassociation helped me, you know, kind of during that time. Oh, sorry. Um, But at the same time, yeah, (laughs) poochies. At the same time, I was forced back into that reality when I necessarily wasn't ready sometimes. Yeah. That makes sense. Thank you for entertaining the other uh, bonus question. I just keep coming up. You love your bonuses. Um, let's see what we got here. Um, can you describe a moment during your heavy quotes journey that you Mm -hmm. consider a turning point or a significant milestone? Um, why don't you go first on this one? I got to kind of think about this one. Okay. Yeah. Um, hmm. I maybe not actual milestones, but maybe things I thought were going to be a turning point for me might be a good place to start. So I thought that I was a big advocate for getting my surgery first. I wanted to get my surgery before I did any chemo. I said, I'll do whatever chemo you want. Just cut the tumor out of me. Give me new boobs. That's what I want. Like, please, like, it'll help me feel better. Um, And my oncologist looked at me and said, no, sweetie, that's not how this works. You need neojuvent chemo. And then you can have your surgery eight months later. So for a while, I really hung up on the fact that once I get this surgery, once I get this tumor cut out of me and get a boob job, quotes, quote, it's quote. not really a boob job. Um, you know, it's not like I'm over here with triple Fs or whatever the case may be. Um, I went very similar to the size I had before. Not that that's anybody's business. I'm just saying I <laughs> thought it was going to be a very significant turning point in my mentality on how I felt not only about myself, but about the whole experience, because I tried to look at it like a silver lining or a reward of some sort. And the reality is, is that's not the case. And I did not feel differently. What I would say is I, again, Sam's favorite word in action, disassociate from them. They have no feelings. So it's like, when I bump them on something, I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't feel that. But I'm like, that's right. They're there. Um, But it's not like I'm buying the string triangle bikinis and showing them off. Not because I don't think that they're great. It's just that it doesn't serve me at all to do that. To me, it's just kind of like normalcy and not in a way of, oh, these are so normal, but just like, okay, I had boobs before and I had cancer. So I 
have boobs again, but except now they have no feeling and that's kind of that. Um, they're not anything special or great like I made up in my mind. And I think I wanted yeah. it to be that because I wanted so badly to have something to look forward to or to have a positive thing come out of this whole cancer experience. I was like, okay, I'm losing my hair. I'm giving up two years of my life. I'm doing chemo and then I have surgery and then I have more chemo and then I have 10 years of hormone therapy. And then I have the possibility of never having kids. I have the possibility of cancer reoccurrence. At least I get new boobs. That's all I'm I mean, about. Silver linings. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it wasn't this silver lining that I thought it was. It was just like, okay, it just replaced what I had there. And except this time, they don't feel like anything. So I kind of almost dislike them more in that way. But again, as I talked about before, this is the new normal and learning learning to love that side. So I'm very grateful for them because they serve me yep. in a health way and they don't have tumors, whereas my other ones did. So, uh, yay! <laughs> Tumorless boobs are the best kind of boobs. Aren't they? Even if they are completely fake. <laughs> <laughs> right. And have no feeling or sensation, which yeah, see, that's I think the biggest bummer. You telling me, and we didn't look this up, maybe we can find somebody who's had this procedure, but about the, you know, reconnection. Um, yeah. So, I, so it's, it's, I think it's just called resensation. Um, and I heard about it from my um, plastic surgeon. And I know that she does this. We're going to try to get her on the podcast and I would love to talk to her about that, but it's for, maybe you guys just Google it. Um, but resensation and what I think they do is they can go back in after a double mastectomy and try to like reconnect. <laughs> Give you I, I some feeling back. Give you yeah, some reconnect back. your nerves so that you have some sort of feeling there, which would be fucking dope for me because mine were very 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 sensitive and now same thing i can like bump them on something or you know probably burn them and i wouldn't even notice um trying to go to like my milestones or turning points a big milestone for me was right before like at the end of like my eight ish months of of treatment and a few weeks before I went back to work, my husband and I took two weeks and we went to Ireland. Ooh, um, we yes. did not have it. We got married in the courthouse. We didn't have a honeymoon. Our big honeymoon was getting a house. This was in the very beginning of 2020. And then as soon as we moved into our house, COVID hit. So we were stuck there. So we were never able to do a honeymoon. So this was kind of like a mixture of like, yay, no more cancer, but also honeymoon. That being said, in Ireland, I still had to wear, like, I just had a, another reconstruction surgery. So I was like shoved in like a sausage casing into like one of these like Spanx things. The like, tube bras. Yeah, yeah. It was just, it was like neck to knee, just everything compressed. Cause you know, in my type of reconstructions, they're just taking chunks of your body and moving them to other places of your body. So I had to be wearing one of those the whole time, but that was so nice for me, not only because I just love Ireland. But in this new place, nobody knew me. Nobody knew mm -hmm. anything that had happened with me. And my husband, when we got home after two weeks, he's like, I just saw a marked difference between just 
you psychologically, you know, like where we wake up in the morning, have some coffee and then just get after it a day in Ireland. Two weeks of that did more for me, I think, than, you know, a few I don't want to say a few years of therapy because my therapist is fantastic and she's been helping me with a lot of things, but it was very, very therapeutic. I'll just say that. So that was a really, really nice thing. It was a milestone. Yeah. I'll call it. Oh, Not a yeah. Term. That was a Take milestone. Take the vacation for sure. If you can. Exactly. Take, and take I loved it because off. I wasn't like going to Mexico. I wasn't going to someplace like really hot where I had to wear a swimsuit. I was right. going to cold ass Ireland in February. Like, yeah. It's just layers on layers on layers. So like nobody could tell if I had this whole bodysuit thing on. It was fantastic. Mm -hmm. I looked the same as everybody else. Um, And then, you know, I've heard, I've heard other people talk about this and it really kind of hit me. Like I've had some girlfriends that, you know, they've had, you know, while we're, while they've got me under, why don't I just have some, you know, a little nip tuck here, a little bit of plastic surgery there, things you've always wanted. And that's, of course, not an option for everybody. I know that that's expensive, but that is something that I've had a bunch of girlfriends do. Um, For me, kind of a turning point was when my scars sort of started to fade and they'll never be gone. But when they sort of started to fade and my my boobs, foobs, whatever we call them, were, you know, they were looking relatively natural again. And I had been off of my steroids for a long time. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm back on them again because I had another reconstruction like three weeks ago. So like I have kind of like smooth, like smooshy face right now. Moon face is what I call it. Moon (laughs) face. Yeah. So I've got that again, which isn't fun, but everything about me, like I just felt like I was a walking perfect circle everywhere Mm -hmm. that I went. So when that started to kind of go down, it took time. It took probably like, six months for all of that uh, inflammation and everything else to go down. But eventually I remember after having avoided mirrors for months and months and probably a year, I did finally stand in front of the mirror one day naked just before I hopped in the shower. And I remember kind of tilting my head and being like, it's not terrible. Yeah. Like it's fine. And that you know, there's, there's no streamers, there's no balloons for it's not terrible, but that was a really big thing for me to even say just from the neck down. I'm not irate about Mm -hmm. this or I'm not avoiding it. Like this is something I can learn to be comfortable with. Oh yeah. I totally get that. And I think bird's eye view is different than living with them every day. I think it's easy Mm -hmm. to look at reconstructed body or reconstructed breast and be like oh those look good but beyond that that's that's kind of it and that's where it stops you don't see when I bend over and I have all of these ripples or you don't see what it looks like when my implant flips or you oh my god the implant flipping that thing that's what we just got sorted out this most (laughs) recent time my plastic surgeon told me she put like a sling in there just like keep them in place because I would always look down and the flat part was outside and so it looked like I had pancake tits and so it's like a fun party like tubes <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun party trick but it's not something that makes you feel sexy that's for mm-hmm. sure right. yeah no I totally get that 
I think the last one, and you alluded to, you know, some of your scars is you're probably going to have a way better answer for this than I do. But how do you view your scars, both physical and emotional? And what do they represent for you now? (sighs) Again, I think that there are a lot of people that I've talked to that are far more advanced in their journey. (laughs) Again, quote unquote, but like more of like their healing journey than I am. Um, I'm still a little bit of a bitter bear about my scars. Um, although that is getting better. Uh, like I said, I used to kind of avoid everything. I didn't like the shape of things. I didn't like the look of it. My scars were very red and angry looking that has now calmed down. Now I've got a few girlfriends that I've talked to, excuse me, um, who have had this as well. And you know, they, (laughs) one of them is just super, super tiny and she's just so damn cute. And she loves wearing like those like really flowy kind of strappy dresses in the summertime. Mm -hmm. And her scars definitely show with that, you know? Mm -hmm. And she was like, yeah, I don't give a shit. Like, she's like, it's awesome. I think that my scars are awesome. Like it means, you know, I made it through this or whatever, fill in the blank, right? Like it means something very different for her. I am not yet there. Those Um, women are built different. Those women are built differently than I am. I'm going to, I'm going to hold a grudge for a real long time. And I am finally at like a ceasefire point with my body Mm -hmm. as a whole. Like I was so mad at her. So fucking mad at her for months and months and probably about a year and a half. Um, Just for, you know, letting me down and having this be such a, like a complicated thing that I'm having to go through. Right. Like it, I'm not saying it makes sense when I say it out loud, but like we were fighting, we were friends off. My body and I were two separate entities. My body was just the vessel that moved my head from room to room. Um, now it's, it is getting better. I have very much accepted what my new fake boobies look like. Um, I have accepted how the rest of my body is kind of settled in to that. Um, and some days shocker, I actually kind of like it. Like some days I like how I look, which is a new thing, ladies and gentlemen. Um, But the scars, again, I'm very neutral on them, which I feel is a big leap forward from being irate, angry, disgusted, whatever the feelings were at the time, none of them positive. I am now very neutral with them. I hope that someday I can be to the point where I'm like, oh, you know, they tell a story about me and it means that, you know, what's that thing that you see in memes all the time? Like, it means I was stronger than what tried to kill me. <laughs> yes, yes, like, yeah. Maybe, maybe fucking someday, but like, right. not right And now. I no, won I the battle and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's not a phrase uh, I'm saying. <laughs> I know. Well, I wanted to get a tattoo kind of like under my armpit, like where one of my big scars is. I wanted to get a tattoo there, but then my brain automatically goes to, well, what if some bullshit happens again and they've got to rip it up again? Now, not only do I have yet another scar and it's deeper, but now my tattoo's all fucked up. So I just left it. I, I got it on my arm instead. We're fine. Everything's good. But my, yeah, my mentality around my scars is ever changing, I guess, but very slowly. My, my, my brain works a lot faster than my emotions work. Those, those trail pretty significantly. I think that's totally fair and also normal. And I think it's totally normal to feel one way and then 
for example, I you asked me about the scars on my breasts. Yeah. Don't don't know them, don't care about them. They're fine, honestly. They're pretty faded. They're great. But you know, then I think about okay, in eight years, nine years, I'm gonna get another surgery and then they're gonna be fresh again. How are those mm-hmm. gonna hold up after time, especially when you're in your twenties and I get four, five, six <laughs> implant surgeries? Yeah. You know, that's a lot of stuff. Um, I'm very so let me back up a little bit. I absolutely despise my port scar. As you can see, it's very big and ugly. And that's because I'm a keloid scar. So my scars like puff up. My breast scars, for some reason, did not do that. They healed very nicely. Thankful for that. But the scar on my chest, every time I wear a v-neck or something like that, it's very noticeable. And I do not like it. I've even had somebody say to me like, oh, wow, you keloid scar. <laughs> like, that's, that's, I didn't know that's, that's what cool. that was called. Like when it yeah. gets puffy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a type of scar. Like it's, you know, to my understanding, it's just your body producing like extra scar tissue. Um, it's nothing harmful, but to me, it just gives uggy vibes, icky vibes. <laughs> gives gives um, me the ick. Yes, exactly. Um, And then, you know, my drain scars are very prominent. I don't know why. They're bright white for some reason. Um, And we've talked extensively about this, but I absolutely hated those things. Um, Mm -hmm. But again, my favorite word, disassociate. Uh, That's kind of how (laughs) I happening. It's not happening. It's not happening. Right. Um, And it's kind of like, oh, if I take a picture and I see myself in a dress or a bathing suit, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. That scar is there. Uh, Yeah, not cool. But I definitely don't think it's um, – I don't use like, oh, this battle or this is a reminder of how strong I was or anything like that. Nope. I simply look at it as the only reason why I have them is because I had to have them. Maybe that's a very coy way of looking at it, but it's the truth. If I didn't have a port there, I wouldn't have a scar there. I didn't have a tube in my jugular, I wouldn't have a scar there. If I didn't have four drains coming out of my body, I wouldn't have a scar there. Even if Mm -hmm. I didn't have the implants, I would still have the scars from the mastectomy. So... That's just kind of how I look at it. It's a part that comes with cancer. Uh, is having some twerp, some toip, some type of scar and or <laughs> I don't want to say deformity, um, but just some kind of innate change to your body, yeah. you know, that you cannot control or are not aware of. A big fear of mine was like, what if the surgeon like moves his hand or something like that? Like then then I gotta then I got a little squiggle scar or something like that. And what if they have a twitch right in the yeah, middle of it? Right. Right. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, like that's just kind of how it is. Or I was very worried about the keloid scar happening, um, you know, underneath my breast, which it didn't. And I'm thankful for, but I think it's just a part of the experience that comes with cancer and cancer surgery and all that kind of stuff. And more power to all the women who view them as battle scars and all of those types of things. I do. Yeah, not. I'm jealous of that mentality. <laughs> I really am. I'm very jealous of that mentality. And I think it's a fantastic mentality. Like that is, that is the sign of a healthy and coping brain. You know, mm-hmm. this thing happened and it made me stronger. And here I am. I don't mean to like be putting it down. I'm just saying like, every time I read those, I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. Cause like, I'm not there. I'm oh just, yeah. I'm just not. No, and I don't I don't think I ever will be and I'm very brash on the 
battle fighting, you know, kind of topic because in my opinion, I don't think it's something that you necessarily win. I think you still, you lost and you fight maybe to win at your life every single day and fight for that fear of not having cancer again or fight for that positivity of not getting cancer again. But the reality is any one of us could wake up and absolutely have cancer again. And that's why I kind of shy away from using that because how crappy would it be if I said, oh, look at me, I I fought and won. And 10 years later, I wake up with cancer. That's my, That's the only reason why I shy away from it. I know everybody has their, you know, different yeah, views I on it. That, and I totally welcome that. I think that whole dialogue can be, I mean, it can, again, it can be really great for some people. I mean, everybody's Absolutely. brain works differently. So hearing, you know, I fought and I won or, you know, whatever, like that can be very, very useful. But, you know, then I also think about like, um, like it was Kiara who we had on, you know, and she was mm-hmm. talking about like that, that sort of line of phrasing doesn't necessarily um it it doesn't relate to relate to that yeah Yeah, it doesn't fit that uh, like Mm -hmm. a mold with everybody especially when you have you know as she discussed stage four um i also think at least in my mind i always try to avoid that sort of language like if somebody talks about it and they use that language talking about their own cancer to me i'll use that same language back right because i think that's wonderful but more power to you and however, it don't does, think we're down at all. Right. But it does kind of strike me because when you do look at a quote unquote battle, there's a winning or a losing, you know, you do one or the other. And then, mm-hmm. you know, let's say somebody does pass away because of cancer. Then it's, oh, they lost their battle. Right. Like, right. Uh, like, and I, and I despise that because I'm like, they fought so hard and I think uh, maybe 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 a more appropriate term is like (laughs) war it's really Mm -hmm. like a war right because I view war as there's multiple battles within that right so I think just getting diagnosed is a battle just coping with that recognizing that right and standing up and saying okay I'm gonna do this treatment or I'm gonna do whatever that's you winning that battle and that's you deciding hey I'm gonna do this for the betterment of me I had chemotherapy, but it didn't really work. Are you saying that I didn't fight hard enough? I think that's why it rubs me the wrong way. I showed up every time, every time for my infusion, double time, uh, ahead of the time. You know, I was, I was willing and waiting. There was nothing I could do. Um, But I don't think that means I fought any less than somebody who had a PCR or something like that. It just means that I had a different outcome with that battle maybe does it mean I won the war no but again I think I'm fighting to win the war every single day um and that's you know kind of what makes the difference for me maybe we start trying to brainstorm over the next few weeks different terms instead of battle or war or winning or losing maybe we just kind of put our heads together and try to start try coming up with our own thing um Katie um Doble, who we're going to have on, she brings up hashtag cancer perks and she'll mm-hmm. always lay out fun, cool things that happen to her because of cancer. And it's always just, we meet great people, hashtag cancer perk or whatever. 
maybe we come up with something like that because I'm I'm with you. That whole war battle thing, it doesn't it it's not that it's wrong, it's not that it's incorrect, it just has never sat right with me. Right. So yay, yeah, now no, we have yet I, another project. Yeah. <laughs> Don't have enough of those. Um <laughs> I think that me and Megan have probably blabbled enough today. Um, So I just want to thank you, Megan, for listening to me blabble. And thank you to everybody for listening to us, as always. Um, This was, I really enjoyed this episode and just kind of getting into the nitty gritty, uh, making us think because I think Megan and I can kind of both avoid the answers to these questions sometimes um, but it's good to sit down and think about them and answer them and see how our, our answers have changed because my uh, opinions and answers have changed on a multitude of things ever since we've started this podcast so I mean this podcast is terribly cathartic for me I mean I I like it it will probably because I'm not like I mean I like to write but I'm not like a journal taker right so it probably over time, I will probably listen back and realize how things have changed. Um, that's another reason I love doing these, but also it's just fun just to look at your face and just chat with you, Sam. Yeah. Like we don't always get to do that. Um, right. so yes, this was fun. I guess we'll just leave it there. As always, please feel free to reach out to us with any sort of feedback um or thoughts for future episodes. Let us know what you guys want to hear about. We'll either talk about it ourselves or if we're funny little dum-dums and have no idea what we're talking about, we will bring people on that know what they're talking about. All right, everybody. See you next week. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Tits Up. We'll be back next week, Thursday, and every Thursday after that. Quick reminder again about how you can support the podcast and help us grow this vibrant community that we are creating. First, whether you are listening to the show or watching us on YouTube, please click the subscribe button and leave us a review. Also, send the show to a friend or a specific episode that you really enjoyed. Second, please follow us on all of our social media platforms. All links are below in the description. Or if you are an elder millennial like myself and you would like to call us and leave a voicemail, you can reach us at 720-892-6669. We want to know if you would like to be a guest on the show or if you have ideas for upcoming episodes, thoughts, comments, concerns regarding past episodes. We would love to hear from you. This podcast is for all of us and we cannot do this without you. Also, please remember, we are not medical professionals and we are never giving medical advice. Everyone's experience with cancer is very different. And just because we did something one way does not necessarily mean that that's how you should do it. If you have any questions about your health and well-being, please contact your doctor. Everyone take care, and until next time, tits up.